Sweet as Honey, the podcast. Hey, honeybees, before we get into the episode, this is a disclaimer that some sensitive language will be used. Our guest will be giving us an account of something that's happened in the past and the N-word will be used. Please keep that in mind as you listen. Also, this is a trigger warning. If you are triggered by arguments or raised voices, the end of the episode, uh, Darrell and I do get a little passionate at the very end. It's all in good love. Uh, We're family. We just wanted to make sure that you take care of yourselves when you listen. Enjoy. Hey, honeybees, we're back with another episode of the Sweetest Haunted Podcast. I know that you guys have missed it um, when I sing. Uh, I know that that is your favorite thing. So it's my favorite thing. I know. I figured it would be. (laughs) So, babe, what's new? Uh, I got a bike and I've been riding that around the neighborhood. And we went outside and had a, a little bit of a play date out there. And um, so we've just been getting some exercise. We did. And we had the extremely sore muscles to prove it. Um, yeah, but I thought I was you dying. know what? We did not bitch out in front of all of those very athletic, very beautiful chocolate men that were outside playing basketball and football. Yeah. Um, we were able to throw these balls like <laughs> nobody's business. It was a great time. Um, and of course, if you hear this laughter, that is like my best friend. It's my friend Darrell. Darrell, say hello to our honeybees. Hello, how's everybody doing? <laughs> oh, hey, Darrell. <laughs> and Darrell is my probably nearest and dearest friend. We have known each other for about 10 years, a little... The long haul. We've it's been, been eight, eight or seven haul. years. Down, top, bottom, everything. We've right, exactly. Um, and we actually met each other when we worked for a clothing retail store, um, and it was a terrible time for us both. So... <laughs> <laughs> Darrell, what are your pronouns for our listeners, please? Pronouns are going to be him, he, yeah, her. Depends yeah. on how much alcohol I've had, but no, like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever. And Darrell is a gorgeous, like it is seriously sickening how beautiful this human being is. Gorgeous black guy, um, and I have loved him forever, and will love him forever, and it's a great time. All right. And yeah, so just tell me a little bit about um, how's your week been? My week's been good. Um, Definitely thankful that I've had the opportunity to work from home Mm -hmm. during the crazy COVID-19 situation that's going on. Yeah, like, you know, like I was uh, at work one day, they came in, they were like, we're going to hold a vote. We're going to have a vote. And if you want to work from home, let us know if you don't. So, of course, everybody said, let's work from home. Permanently. And, uh, yeah, I've been <laughs> blessed. You know, they came back, like, this week. We went home originally in April. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week they came back and said that we're going to be staying home. We're not going back to the office. So, it's just been, like, for me, that's an incredible blessing to stay home, not to drive in rush hour traffic, um, you know, less gas money. I'm happy. I have right. no problems right now. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. Um, also, it's very noteworthy that you have the most gorgeous scene, um, uh, the most gorgeous scenery, rather, uh, than we do out in coastal Florida. Um, I wish that the idiots would stay away from where you live, but at least you do still get to walk along the beach or go for a bike ride or be outside. So that's nice. And I'm, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> Definitely jealous. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. I'm not going to lie. It's nice when you go outside, you see manatees, you see dolphins, you see like pink. Uh, I don't know what the pink birds are. They're not flamingos or something else, but it's nice. 
You pay for it, but it's nice. Yeah. I mean, without the price tag, of course. Meanwhile, I walk outside and see dirt bikes. Right. Or hear them while you're Uh, trying to teach. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Darrell, tell us a little bit about how... Okay, so Allison and I talked about this beforehand, so I don't want anybody to feel any type of way about the dynamic um, of this. Allison is just kind of in, you know, she'll kind of dip in and out as she feels comfortable. Um, You know, we're all still trying to get our footing with what we feel comfortable discussing, what we feel comfortable um, asking, and how we feel comfortable being involved. So it's not that we're being um, exclusionary towards Allison by any means. It's just Allison and I had a discussion. Allison is just kind of playing by ear. And um, when she feels comfortable, that is when Allison will, you know, ask questions and partake, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, Darrell, tell me a little bit about how you've been feeling about the Black Lives Matter movement. How how has that affected your life? How has that affected things that you usually do that might look differently now? How What are those changes that you see in your life? The movement uh, for me has been very interesting. I've always... Um, I had a Black Lives Matter movement in my own being, in my own heart, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I can say seeing, like, the diversity of the crowd, seeing, like, how many different types of people have been out protesting has definitely made me feel more um, positive about okay. the way the country is moving, right? Okay. Much more positive. Like, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I'm a little bit older than you. Mm -hmm. I'm probably older than Allison. When I was growing up, it was basically just like, you're here, have fun with it, do what you can do, blah, 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 blah. You know, and that's that's the way I think everybody got used to everything being. Mm -hmm. But there were things going on that just were not right. So to see that the younger folks are standing up and saying like we got our issue with this, mm-hmm. it makes me feel good. It makes it lets me know that the country will not continue to be the way that it was, um, and I'm happy about that. Right. What things do you think you're looking the most forward to that you can see happening as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement? That's very interesting. Like one of the things I can say is that I'm interested in seeing if people can differentiate. Um, a black person that is trying to do something with their life mm-hmm. that's been educated, that comes from a good background versus a black person that is not trying to do anything with their life. I know that a lot of people will get offended by it, but it, it I don't think that anybody's life is worth more than another. Mm-hmm. But I do think that if you're out minding your own business, jogging, doing yoga, skating, whatever that looks like, and, you know, you're not bothering anybody, you should be left alone. Right. Right now, that's not the case. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're out, you're by yourself and you're doing your own thing. There's a decent chance that you could be assaulted. You could be accosted. You could mm. be bothered by somebody that thinks that you're something that you're not. And right. I think that now maybe people will kind of learn the difference the same way they do with everybody else. Right. Uh, personally, like I would definitely agree with that, but I also feel like a change that's supposed to happen is like, I feel like when you get away with doing something over and over and over again, and you get away with like a slap on the wrist or someone like might cuss you out or something like that, it's not going to have the impact that if you do something stupid or say something jacked up to somebody and they punch you in your face, um, 
Oh. <laughs> well, I don't. Like, you know what I'm saying? At this point, I'm seeing these racist people are feeling so emboldened and I can't help it. Like, maybe it's really dark. Maybe it makes me like a little bit terrible, but I kind of like to see those videos where it's like some lady that's like running her mouth and she's calling somebody racial slurs and telling them to go back to their country and she gets punched in her face. I'm sure that the next time she had those thoughts, she thought twice about expressing them out loud to that person. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's interesting because I mean, most people that think that way, they've been raised that way. Mm-hmm. They've been taught to think that that is the way to do things, mm-hmm. you know, like they... It's, 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 it's really interesting because, you know, I've had the opportunity to live in, like, a town where I was the only black person in the entire city. Mm-hmm. I was the only black kid in the school. And what happens is you begin to think that that's cool. Like, you think that this is the way we do it. Like, this is normal. Like, when we, you know, it's like, it's like a gang. You know, it's like our gang versus their gang. They don't realize that the other gang is just trying to live. They're not trying to bother anybody. They just mind their own business. But um, that's the weird thing about supremacy, especially like racial supremacy, I think that people get involved and they have family members that boost them up to think that this is normal. Mm -hmm. And so they get out in public and think that this is how we live. We live by making sure that no matter what they're trying to do, we make it as hard as possible. It doesn't matter whether they're registering for college. It doesn't matter if they're trying to park a car. It doesn't matter what they're trying to do. It's like, we're going to make it as difficult as possible. Right. Like, that's been my experience with mm-hmm. it. So, um, you alluded to being, like, the only black kid that was in a school. Like, how old were you? Um, I was 14, 15, 16. Oh, geez. How was that experience for you? Was it in, the, mean, sta- it was in, the, was it in the States? It was in the States. It okay. was in Montana. Okay. In Butte, Montana, of all places. Butt Montana, booty Montana. That's what they yeah, it's not that, yeah. It's Butte Montana. Get it right, you know what I mean? Get it right. That Butte town, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, it was interesting. It was a very, very interesting. I wouldn't have the open minded ways that I have now if I had not lived in that city. I remember like uh you know, I used to mind my own business, nobody bothered me. I did good in school, but uh, you know, one kid had a problem. And uh, tried to start something with me. Uh, and in Butte, during lunch, you can just like walk outside. You don't have to be on school grounds. You can go wherever you want to go. Mm-hmm. Right? So I remember walking up trying to go to the candy store. And this kid is like, you know, you're a nigger. You're this, that, and the other. Oh. You're this, that. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, because I'm, I, you know, I was a church boy. You know, you met me mm-hmm. when I was younger. So I was like, I don't understand. Um, you know, the kid ran up on me. And it was the most unusual thing. Like, he, his eyes were so big at one point when he was talking to me. His eyes just got really big. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked behind me, and there were probably about 15 or 16 guys standing behind me. And they were like, like you know, in all honesty, you fuck with that boy, we're going to fuck with you. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know who these guys are, but I like them right now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was happy about it. Um, they said, while they were talking to that guy, he doesn't bother anybody. He comes and goes like there's not a problem with him. So in all honesty, if you got an issue with him, it's because of you, mm-hmm. and we'll handle you. Because this dude walks by and talks to us every day, and I think that if I would not have had that experience, uh, I would have prejudice. I would have issues dealing with other 
races of people. Mm -hmm. Was that the first time that you had ever been called by that name before? Or is that something that you had experienced before? That was the first time I've been called by that name. But the first time I'd ever experienced any kind of racism coming to America, I would definitely say it was like in the fourth, maybe fifth grade. Mm-hmm. I think we were nine in the fifth grade. Um, we had one teacher in particular who would not let black kids go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of black females who were starting their menstrual cycles. You know, there were reasons that they needed to go to the restroom. Mm-hmm. And this lady would not let them go. And she was a substitute teacher. She was not a normal teacher at the school. Uh, Pinckney Elementary at Fort Jackson in South Carolina. So, mm-hmm. um, and the, one of the things that I can remember the most is that the, she, she used to drive by at the end of the day on her way home and wave at us, you know, after tormenting us basically all day. Mm-hmm. Like the restroom thing is like the biggest thing, but she did a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to ask myself, I'm like, why, you know, I was a band kid, I was a, I was a nerd, I was like, why is this lady, like, have such a hard-on for getting our attention? Right. You know, that was my first experience with a Karen. I didn't know that they existed <laughs> until then, you know, I didn't know they existed until now, actually, but right. it, it's, it's weird that, for me, coming from Europe and coming here, it's, it's crazy that this starts in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And so it's like they want you to become indoctrinated into this narrative, being weak, being less than, uh, not being able to control yourself, not having boundaries, not having rules, not being, it's a, it, it literally is a narrative. Like you're not able to do certain things because we think that it's not right. Mm-hmm. That's how I've always felt about that. It's very weird. Yeah. Okay. I know where you lived when you were um, in Europe, but tell the honeybees where you lived before and how did your experience in just a completely different continent, different country, vary from what your experience has been in the United States as a black boy, a black man? Growing up in the Netherlands was probably one of the most whimsical experiences that any child could have. I grew up around... That's a great Yeah, it's true. I grew up around castles. I grew up around tulip fields. I grew up around dairy farms. Dairy farm in particular, because I used to get in trouble every week for going to the dairy farm and helping milk the cows. Mm -hmm. And uh, coming home smelling like cow manure. But um, (laughs) I can definitely say... I dealt with the people in the Netherlands. I was like amongst everybody. My, my you know, the people that lived next to me, they were not military, they were Dutch. Um, when I came to the United States, I can say that I realized that something, like I, you know, I was mentioning earlier, something was wrong. Mm-hmm. I noticed that when you drive through the so called black neighborhoods, that they were impoverished. They were mm-hmm. deplorable and all. And like, just being real, like, it was like the most. But who wants to live like that? Right. You know, shotgun shacks, houses like sinking into the ground, windows blasted out. You know, it was horrible. And I remember asking my mom, um, you know, maybe like a week after I arrived here, I said, Mom, I said, why is it that the people that look like me live in these horrible neighborhoods? And that was an hour long conversation. I don't think that she was ready for that. And the crazy thing is, I'll tell my mom to this day. I don't know why you brought me here. Yeah. And that's the truth. That's the sad truth. Like, I don't know why 
you know, I love my mom to death, but I don't know why she would think that this is a place for a young black man to be. Mm-hmm. It's not been a good experience. I've had a lot of good times, uh, but I can honestly say that being a black man, being enlightened, uh, knowing your ancestry, knowing your background, and living in the United States is a burden. Say more about that. Well, you know, when you know the truth, mm-hmm. when you know that you're taught something that's not true, mm-hmm. when you know what the people that have come before you have gone through, you slowly start to realize that you are burdened with the chore of being great. Mm-hmm. Because you understand the death, the blood, the pain, the sacrifice, the hurt that has come before you just so you could just, just, just so that you could have a meager existence. You don't have to be anything great. Right. But people, like, and a lot of folks don't realize this. You know, I was looking at my grandparents, like, uh, great-grandparents, like, census records. And the one thing that was crazy that I noticed looking at the census records, all the black people were field hands, you know, house servants. Mm-hmm. And I started, like, thinking, like, that's all they were able to do because nobody let them do anything else. Right. And I also remember, you know, like, you know, I grew up pretty privileged. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, my parents had a good bit of money, and I was fine. Um, but I remember the kids Butler High School in Huntsville, for example. <laughs> when it comes to math, those kids were so much smarter than I was. Mm-hmm. And when it came to math, I'm like sitting there like, wow, these kids are from the projects, but they're getting this math. But they're right. I don't get it, but whatever. And, you know, it kind of got started to click like, wow, these kids could be engineers. These kids could be these kids could be doctors. They could be all these things. But because they're black in America, they they're probably not going to get there because of all the different circumstances that have been placed in front of them. All the obstacles, yeah. Mm. All the obstacles. That's exactly right. Like, so many obstacles. You know, their parents are going through the same thing, and then their parents are going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's different when you can come in and, and say, oh, I come from this, I know exactly who I am, and now I'm in America, so it's time for me to just make everything great. That's fine. But when you come from a background of that systemic racial society Mm -hmm. i don't think that the outcome is always going to be the same you're not always going to be great because great is not what's expected of you right unless unless you're a black girl but that's a whole different conversation yeah and i mean also there's going to be varying degrees of greatness right like what's great to one person is not necessarily going to be what's great to another um Mm -hmm. in the black community especially you know from my own experience what my you know nuclear family would have considered like greatness was i was the first one to go to college um i don't really think that my dad counted because i think that he was there for like two months and then he was like not so much um but you know for me to actually like go to a university and to be there and to get there kind of on my own merits and everything that was considered greatness and even now you know i struggle with this part of my identity that's like am i doing enough i don't ever want anybody else's sacrifice to be in vain i don't ever want you know anybody's death to have been for nine you know so yeah, I definitely agree with that and the different things that greatness can mean. But usually it's up to like like the firstborn or, you know, the oldest child to kind of it's the burden is placed on their shoulders to be able to break these patterns. It's what's expected of them, even though um, we're not always necessarily given the tools that we need to get from point A to point greatness. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's 100% true. And one of the things that I noticed growing up, um, 
a lot of parents are just, especially black parents, they're not equipped. Mm-hmm. They don't have, you know, a therapist. They don't have mm-hmm. a, a social worker. They don't have somebody to help them work out. They don't have those things. They're, mm-hmm. they, you get, and that's the thing that's crazy to me. If you sit back and really think about it, how many people do we depend on to help us live a normal life? A lot of the parents that grew up, that were raising kids in the era that I grew up in, because I grew up, what I, I call it the hood era. Mm-hmm. It's not like it is now. When I grew up, it was hood. Like, I remember my mom with a pistol on the seat, like, we're going to her neighborhood where she grew up, and I'm like, Mom, why do you have a gun? She's like, well, that's just the way it is. Yeah, I'm crazy. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's not normal for me, you know? And I realize, I'm like, not this is a, I learned how to fight. You know, and I'm like, this is different. Like, this is not what I grew up in. I grew up around tulips and windmills, and now you're trying to tell me pistols and fist fighting. Right. And I had to, like, figure out why is it different? Why Why is it that I'm the same person, but when I come to the United States, my mom is like, don't touch anything in the store. You're in Mississippi. Don't touch shit. Mm-hmm. If you touch something, something can happen to you. Like, these are things that I remember. Yeah. You know? And it's 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 not the same i can be honest with you when you grow up here i don't want to imagine what you're indoctrinated with what, right. what, what you've been taught so many things even like Darrell. even when i think about like the simplest things that we've been doing why the fuck like are we like kindergarten pre-k learning the pledge of allegiance i had never even thought about the meaning behind the words that i was taught to recite for so you know from such a young age and then also to grow into this period of enlightenment as you called it mm. where I'm understanding that like I'm in a country that doesn't give a fuck about me. My safety doesn't matter. Um, You know, I'm judged by the color of my skin before anything else. The way that I am, my core beliefs, what I value is not really important to these people that have also been teaching me to say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And it's just it's kind of creepy and gross like when you really think about the ways it's just like we've been fed like force fed these lies from that time and it really really is upsetting that there's supposed to be a separation of church and state where you should be able to go and have this education and this educational experience that's devoid of any type of like you know quote unquote corruption or misinformation and we're supposed to trust that these educators that these this is the knowledge that we're going to have have that's going to get us to the next stage in life and what is ultimately supposed to set us up for success but nobody taught us when we were growing up that like the america that they're teaching us about and like this melting pot and this democratic society is not what the reality is no it's not the reality and the weird part about it is we've been taught the same narrative that our parents were taught but it's, it's, it's crazy because it's not true. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the younger kids because they're so free. They do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. You can't tell them shit. Um, they're the only ones with enough sense to say that something's not right. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when I grew up, we still had, like, a certain type of, I'll I, I, I call them values. You know, your parents tell you certain things. You're supposed to dress a certain way for a certain occasion. You're supposed to be this way and respectful this way. But the younger kids really don't care about those things. You know, they're like, I'm going to dress however I want to dress. You know, I'll wear a short skirt to a funeral if I feel like it. 
And I used to think, wow, how disrespectful. But now I'm seeing the difference. The difference is that they'll stand up for something that we wouldn't stand up for because it's not, we won't stand up for, we won't stand up for the same things because it's not what we're used to, whereas they don't care. They're like, oh, that doesn't sound right to me, so I'm going to stand up. My generation is like, well, we're going to stay comfortable, and uh, it's not right, but you can keep doing it. Mm. So I, I have a lot of respect for the younger kids. Yeah, the little whippersnappers. Um, I, I would not agree that like I've ever felt okay with just the status quo and whatever is just okay, like falling for the okie doke. That's never been me. Um, but I think that there's a different perspective on this, seeing people come out and like masses of people coming out to be outspoken and to protest and to march Mm -hmm. and to really enact change and ask that of the people around them. Whereas, you know, even, even Allison and I have discussed this before where we were just like, is our area the problem? Let's move. Let's separate ourselves from the South. Let's separate ourselves from Alabama and maybe go try, you know, somewhere on the West coast where there's more liberal people. But also the oppressive issues that we face it's not just a southern thing people might be more overt you know overtly racist here but it's not just a southern issue it's not just you know an issue of it's a global issue exactly so it's a global issue yeah and Darrell to speak to your point for a second like we the our generation as a whole and coming from my perspective, I can definitely understand what you're talking about where like you were taught to be a certain way and you couldn't speak out because it was considered disrespectful mm-hmm. or like if uh, an elder, you disagreed with them, you saying you were wrong or even having a discussion could disrespect. be viewed as disrespectful. And there is no discussion. Yeah. And so <laughs> you just don't have a discussion because exactly. they're right. Yeah. And so like even... You know, I some of my current family members uh, have like posted stuff similar, like displaying similar tactics to what we're just talking about. And I'm like, you're not that's not the point. The point is to have this conversation so we can be respectful so that we can all grow so it can be a better world for everyone, mm-hmm. not just you in your comfort zone. Yeah. It's time for you to stop talking as a white person and listen, which is what I'm trying to do. So y'all go ahead. <laughs> That's a good yeah, point, babe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And then, like, even... Uh, there's so many layers to this. Like, and mm-hmm. you, you know, how are you feeling about, like, the points where things are intersectional for you? Um, for me, those points of intersectionality and where things intersect for me is fatness, queerness, blackness, and womanhood. So for you, are you struggling in any of those spaces where like the different facets of your life may intersect? I think uh, one of the biggest things that I've run into Mm -hmm. is that I am uh, presumptively, I'm a straight male. Mm -hmm. When you meet me, you're like, this is a straight guy. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't think anything else. This is a straight black guy everything's normal i don't have any problems it's easy for me to just like fall into that role everything's regular it's regular it's all regular very very much very much you already know very much very regular very normal very no problem lots of fiber super regular nobody has issues here nobody has issues (laughs) but the main problem that i run into is when i meet people and i gotta get out of the accent because it's hard for me to do that from my own community Mm -hmm. and i'm like i got you 
Like, I got your back, you know? Like, I'm here. And I can't get out the accent. So, you know, this is what we're going to do. No but it's like, you know, I got your back, and they don't even realize that I'm one of them. Like, right. they don't even realize that I'm a part of the team. They're like, oh, here's this straight guy. He's black, and he's going to be homophobic as fuck. And it's like, it's not like that. It's like, you know, I, I, I'm here. And it's like, I got to tell them, hey, I'm on the team, bro. I'm here. I'm like, I got you. you know? We like the same shit. Like, we're good. And I, that's very awkward for me because I don't like being uncomfortable. And the, the most comfortable thing, in all honesty, is just is to just go with what comes naturally, which is you're a black straight guy. Right. You know, so it's like, that's one thing because being black and being not straight is a major issue that yep. people don't realize. Yep. Major, major issue. Yep. The 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 issues that black gay people face, I would say, are par to the same issues that black trans people face, mm-hmm. that black people face from racist white people. It's the same thing. We face double the negativity. Mm-hmm. We face it in our own community yep. and we also face it just being black it's very difficult right yeah it's not a fun time and you know through my own like personal development it it was just at a point to where I kind of like to lead with I I don't want to say like lead with the negatives because these are definitely not negative attributes these are things that I love about myself but I realize might be points of contention for other people but that's what I like to lead with I'm loud I'm gay I'm fat I'm not sorry about it um I have a lot of opinions I'm right a lot of the time but I'm also wrong I don't have an issue with you know saying okay Allison all the time didn't we have a conversation like that last night and I was like no babe like I'm sorry I was wrong you were right about that I have no issues with apologizing um, for something that I'm wrong about for the two times that you've ever been wrong yeah (laughs) but I will apologize no you you definitely will will. I was just excited that I remembered something that you didn't sorry that was incorrect my Mm -hmm. bad you were absolutely right I was wrong give me a kiss um so you know so those are usually the things that i lead with it's damn dogs y'all we're gonna give them away for a short commercial break while we (laughs) strangle all of our puppies we're not gonna actually do that speak for yourself we'll be back And we're back. So thank you so much for holding on and sticking in there with us while we were um, maybe murdering or maybe not murdering our dogs. Um, no they're animals not murdered. were they're harmed just, in the making of this fine. podcast. They're just in their crates with their soft little blankets. Mm, yeah, I know. What a tough life. Okay, um, so... we left off I was saying I like to lead with those things I like to lead with those um and and it's it's a defense mechanism I understand that about myself but I have also like lost enough people and these things have come up in different ways to where people might feel differently I don't want to put the effort into getting close to somebody else um without them knowing these are the things that I need to know yeah when I go to job interviews Mm -hmm. I leave you know like my sleeves rolled up if my tattoo are an issue i will mention my wife seven times i will let you see my sparkly ring if anything about my blackness fatness gayness or body modifications are not going to work then this is just not going to work um i've taken a page out of your book too um for you know when i have i'm I'm introducing myself to these new hire classes mm -hmm. and stuff i do the same thing now 
Um, I'll let them know, you know, hey, I'm married. My wife's name is this. Here's a picture of her so they can see what a beautiful black woman you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we go from there. So I get all of these things out of the way. So Mm -hmm. not only for me, but so they don't say or think that they can say anything stupid. Mm -hmm. Because until I cut my hair, I presented very cis and straight. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I can identify with that. Yeah. So that's just what I like to lead with. And, you know, um, I think that it's even more of that now. I'm even Mm -hmm. more of that. I'm just like, I, you know, like even on Instagram, I'm just like, I'm pro-sex, pro-ho, (laughs) pro-choice, pro-trans, pro-gay, like pro-weed. Baby, do you? Like, I just believe that these are just, you know, things to enjoy. Who am I to talk about what you do with your body, your bodily autonomy? I've always Um, felt that way. Right. I've always felt that way. And it's so weird that that's such like an area of opposition. I'm just like, if you want to freaking blaze and get high, number one we need to just go ahead and legalize marijuana just across the country See, we all freaking need it um and- i am from the most liberal country liberal <laughs> first world country in the entire world yeah like i'm from the first country that legalized gay marriage i'm from the first country that legalized weed and i don't get it because when i grew up yolanda my babysitter she was high all the time yolanda. she was a great babysitter but she was always high <laughs> See, and i didn't think anything was wrong with it she could deal with me when my mom could not deal with me she i'd could, probably like you know, kids like, more if i was high I, right it's very interesting to come here <laughs> and then all of a sudden all the things that i'm growing up with are bad even though i didn't really get it because i was a kid i was like 11 years old when we moved to the united states i'm kind of like everybody's very uptight everybody has a lot of problems everybody, everybody needs some weed yes yeah yeah calm down <laughs> calm down yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i agree yeah. um Calm down, wear your mask, go to Walmart, get you some chips, yeah. relax. Hera yeah. would not have a problem if she was a little high. I'm just saying. That's what I'm saying, right? I mean, and I don't understand how these things are what we spend so much time focusing on because literally let it pass legislation and focus on repairing the broken system. These are not issues that we need to be debating discussing wasting a lot of time with these are not Mm. harmful things who somebody else has sex with what somebody else does with their body how somebody else is able to affirm their own identity and feel comfortable in their skin that's not something i want to condemn that's something i want to support that's something i want to commend that's something i want to applaud um that's something that i want to fund that's something i want to help with i want to raise awareness i would love for you know trans people to have universal health care and then these gender affirming surgeries are covered under that because these are a matter of life and death and these are once again these are not issues that we need to be debating when we're worried about people you know i'm terrified of a cop pulling me over and police officers you know police forces are being funded more than education cops are paid more Mm -hmm. than teachers are these are where the issues are it's not about freaking marijuana like no one's gonna freaking get high the worst thing that's gonna happen in traffic with somebody that's high is that they're gonna drive too slow you're gonna be irritated if you have any two lane roads like we do out here in the country (laughs) like it's these are these are non-issues like (laughs) do Mm -hmm. you if that's what makes you happy you're doing it safely you're not hurting anybody else i'm not worried about it i'm supportive of that awesome you're gonna have a higher quality of living because you're able to have those liberties that's that that's it yeah actually like that's the whole point yes the netherlands is one of the happiest countries in the in Mm -hmm. the world and the reason that we're happy is because we mind our own business yep like literally that's all that it is yep. you know it like we, we can try to politicize things we politicize masks 
you know. Yeah. I always say Michael Jackson would be so happy right now because everybody's <laughs> wearing masks. And it's crazy that this has become political. Right. You know, I, I can't wear a mask. I have a pass. Like, this is not the library. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you have a pass for a mask? When, when there's people with COPD and all kind of other issues wearing a mask to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, why? Is it, it, that's, that's the main issue that I feel like affects Americans. And I'm American. You know, I grew up in another country, but I'm American. Mm-hmm. But I can say from an outsider... The problem is that Americans politicize so many things that they don't realize what's good for them or what's bad for them yep. because they're so brainwashed yep. by watching these Fox News or watching CNN News, whether it's Democratic or whether it's Republican, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to kind of like take a step back and say, what's, what is real life for me? Oh, yeah. And no one's going to do their own due diligence and do research. Like people are just going to absolutely not it go based on like what they see on the news and be like, yep, I take that as fact. Saw this on Twitter, saw it on mm-hmm. the Internet, must be true. And then they're going to take that and run with it. And right. they're going to have skewed visions, especially because, you know, when you think about your social group, um, socially, the way that you interact with people, even if it's on social media, if it's your core group of friends, these people are your friends. You interact with these people because their values align with your values. With so, yours, yep. exactly. So, you're not even going to have the difference of opinion. And when you are confronted with a difference of opinion, you're going to be very defensive about that because it's something different than what you've ever seen <laughs> that before. Is, that's the key is defensiveness. Yep. Like, if you talk to an American, whether it's about family, color, anything the first response is going to be defensiveness why is that i I think that what's happening is that we have a lack of proper like education yeah like public education does not teach us to question things public education teaches us that columbus saw the ocean blue and whatever year that was i forgot 1492 but that's the problem like we think that what we've learned and what our parents have taught us you know i learned a long time ago that my mom is not right about everything mm-hmm. and that i need to start making my own decisions i learned that as a child yep um <laughs> i'm not gonna tell you exactly what happened but it was interesting um yeah i learned that you know and i was like well let me start making my own decisions coming to the united states now there's this thing called the Confederate flag. I knew nothing about the Confederate flag, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a major issue. My best friend is a straight country-ass dude from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. White. And best friend. Got me my first real job. Uh, family fed me when I didn't have any food. Was always there. Hurricanes, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, I could always go there. I knew I was going to be good. And they were, you know, big flyers and the Confederate flag and things like that, you know. And I talked to him maybe like two weeks ago. And he said, you know, he called me. He, he actually called me. He, he's got kids and everything. He was like, what's up with this Black Lives Matter shit? Like, what is that? And I was like, I don't think that I'm prepared to tell you what Black Lives Matter is. I don't even know what it is. Like, you know, it's just like I've heard about it. I see it in the news, but... I got to go to work. I got stuff to do. So, but what, the way that I basically explained it to him, I said, there's a movement and there's people saying black lives matter. And there's also an organization that is called black lives matter. And at the end of the day, what you got to understand is that there's things that we go through that you don't have to go through. Mm-hmm. And that's all that it's about. It's not any more deep than that. It's just the fact that I can go out in the area that I live in, in Florida, and walk across the street, and, you know, this has happened. 
and get pulled over and for an ID, which is basically fishing for warrants, mm-hmm. what that is. Um, whereas a white guy would not experience that. He could walk across the street. Nobody would bother him. Yep. That's what it's about. It's not about, like, because a lot of people mentioned, like, you know, George Floyd and making him a hero. Nobody is making George a hero. Mm-hmm. What they're doing is they're saying that this is a guy that wasn't bothering anybody. They yeah. should have been left alone. They right. could have lived. But because of systemic racism, you've decided in your mind, an implicit bias, that he is doing something wrong. And that's the problem. But, you know, what's so interesting about it is that I understand it because I do it myself. I do the same thing that I say white people should not do. I see somebody that looks a certain way coming down the street and I become defensive. And I'm like, well, you know, I better you know, protect myself. I better get ready because I don't know what this person's going to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that as hard as it is to say, it's the truth. Black people at the same time have to understand the position that we're putting white people into that live in 2020. We're asking people to tell people that look like them to tell other people that look like them that you're wrong. Who else is coming to your defense when something is wrong? It's going to be your people. Mm -hmm. So we're asking them to say no. You know, we're asking people to say you're all wrong. That's that's not easy. That's not easy. I, th- I I disagree on that, and um, there, <laughs> yeah, I know the white person speaking up, and the reason being is because I don't feel like it's me telling all the rest of the white people that they're wrong, or even me recognizing the wrongness within myself. It as more of just a self awareness and a realization of what you guys experience on a daily basis. That's all it is. Is to not be like. it's the people shouting all lives matter right like for us to be like look it's not (laughs) yes they all matter but when you walk outside are you afraid for your life for just walking across the street like you just it just expressed Mm -hmm. you know and it's not about that it's it's about okay how can we empathize with our fellow people of america these black americans that are having these issues and you cannot understand because you have not experienced them yourself. It's all about a level playing field. Mm. It's equity. That's it. I it's love. Really interesting to hear that. I loved your your very simple explanation to your friend about Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter. Um, that it's just just be aware and then even to your point that you just mentioned like even if you're outside doing these other things like I said like guys like I'm doing a lot of soul searching there are going to be things that like I say that some Mm -hmm. of y'all may not agree with there are going to be some things that you say that are that may come across really confronting there are going to be some things that come across that you're just like I don't like this. I don't agree with this. It does not set well with me. And that's okay. But I'm going to be like honest about what my own experience is. Darrell, you just mentioned like if you're alone at night, you're going down somewhere and you're like, do I, you know, like, am I in danger? Do I need to protect myself? And then we do I also. Yeah. Yes. Like, same. Especially day. with like, like being a queer woman. A I got you. Every single day. Exactly. But. This is also something that's making me think about like, 
why, like, what is it about this that's making me feel unsafe? Do I feel safe because this person is black? Do I feel unsafe because this person is male? Do I feel unsafe because that is what I've been conditioned to feel is going to happen in these situations? Mm -hmm. So regardless of like what I do in response to that, this is still what's happening as a process. And it's still something that I'm having to process myself. Um, You know, and we have to consider other external factors like has anybody had experiences before that have been traumatic with you know black people whether you're black or other yourself have you experienced violence at the hands of black people or you know any type of violence or physical altercation that would make you feel that way or is it just I'm not comfortable with blackness I'm not comfortable with black people and that is why the situation it's a subconscious thought exactly that is the key that's the key right because there's so many different like aspects to this like Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't they don't get it because they're not a part of the black community right but i can explain it you know i grew up i'm a brown skinned guy right Mm -hmm. i'm not too dark i'm not too light i never had a person tell me that my color was an issue Mm -hmm. but i you know have family members who are too light or too dark and everybody's had something to say Mm -hmm. um i've also like since i've lived in florida been called a nigger for the first time in years by a white guy uh in Publix, minding my own business he just turned around and said she looks good and he was like looking around. He's like, yeah, you know, maybe there's a guy in here, not you, because you're a nigger. <gasps> what the fuck, yeah. bro? And I was like looking at him. And I was like, it, it didn't phase me because in Alabama, I've been called a nigger twice in two years by a white guy in traffic. You know, road rage. Road yeah. rage is what road rage. You know, there's no there's no rules to road rage. But I can say that. I've been called a nigger like in Alabama. I've been called a nigger in Florida. I've been called a nigger in Montana. I did have people have my back in Montana. I will say that. That's the difference. But I've been called that name in a lot of different places. And what I've slowly, slowly started to realize is that I need to accept the fact that there's just racists out here and there's nothing that I can do about that. You know? I can't walk a certain way. I can't speak English better. I can't do anything about being more non-black. Like I'm black as fuck. Like if you look at me, like that's what you're gonna see when you when I'm walking up to you. Mm-hmm. So you know. And the thing is, like what I was missing there earlier about us black people having the same problem, um, because you'll notice that whenever you see black crime like in a black neighborhood Mm -hmm. the first thing that you see a lot of people say is where's black lives matter now Mm. and the issue with that is like those guys are in jail right like those guys are locked up like when you see like there's a black guy he punched a baby to death and he's in jail he was not sitting on the couch eating chips I don't even know about them chips but you know what I'm saying like he was in jail like you know that's what I tell people I'm like look this is the difference the difference is that we should, if I, if I decide I got beef and I go out and I blast somebody, I'm going to prison. I right. These guys went out and hunted down a mod Arbery in Georgia and were sitting at home. And That's so the, the difference. protest started. So you got to kind of like think, like, what's, what's the reason that these guys were able to murder a man in broad daylight on camera? Mm-hmm. Right? A, fuck, a dude that's jogging and minding his own business. And they were sitting at home, and you don't think that that's a problem. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the difference. When we go out, when we're in the hood, and we got gang beef, or we, you know, whatever it looks like, we go to prison for that shit. Right. 
And that's like what I want people to understand. Like that's the difference. It's like it's not that black people just don't care. Because one of the things, one of the comments that was made by a lady was like, "Where's Black Lives Matter now? A black baby died, and they're nowhere to be seen. The guy was in jail." So it's just like that was just a regular ass fucking crime. Like those two things. She's trying to set that up for a direct juxtaposition. It doesn't work. So to your point, um, white people, if you're listening, you're listening for clarity. Black Lives Matter and us fighting for equality and just 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 to even be able to begin to play just for all of us to be on the same line before we start the race that is life we want to be able to do that that doesn't mean that we're going to excuse black people that are causing crime the same way that we're not going to do that for white people asian people native people like anybody like a murderer is a murderer crimes are crimes but like you said when people are being hunted down what that is the important part that we need for you guys to understand i personally me just jolly old tiff like she's got a smart ass mouth sure but does that mean (laughs) that i deserve to be shot to death at a routine traffic stop because the cop felt like it that day Does that mean that that cop gets to still go home to his family and continue to be in law enforcement after that? Absolutely not. That is what the point is. That is what the movement's about. That is why we're marching. That is why we're talking about this. This is what we need you guys to understand. Like, it's It's not just about like all black people, black people can do no wrong, black, um, black supremacy. That's not what it's about. We Mm -hmm. just, y'all, we just want to be equal and I will consider it equal after some substantial reparations because because y'all, the inherited trauma is so real. <laughs> and it's very real. on a daily basis, real. like, do you have this where you're constant, like, you feel overwhelmed and you're not sure why? You I feel, feel an energy? Every freaking day. Every day. And I hate it. Yep. And that's what I try to tell my mom. My mom is the most sensitive, loving woman in the world. You know, she's rough. But she's sensitive and loving. And mm-hmm. I tell her every day, I'm like, I don't know why you brought me here. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, you know, I wanted you to know where you came from. I don't want to know this shit. Right. I don't want to know being black in America. I don't want to know that shit. Right. Because it's not comfortable. It's not nice. And I need to wake up and think, like, how do I have to move through my day to not be a fucking target for the police? To not be a fucking target for the Karens to call the police on me. And that's like, they don't think that we have to do this every day. But especially as a brown skinned, obviously black man, this mm-hmm. is shit that you have to do every fucking yep. day. Every day. You, you can't escape house, it no matter what. That is who you no, are. You are they black. I understand that. You are black. there's no getting away from that and that's why we bring it up so much white people are always saying things like oh why are we always bringing up the past and things like that it's not the past we wake up and we relive that these are our 24 hours we wake up black we go to sleep black we're Mm -hmm. in the store black we're in a grocery store black i mean like before anything else before i'm a patient in a hospital no you can't go to the doctor without having to check a fucking box stating the fact you cannot look at healthcare things without the fact that there's statistical information that's already there to speak for you a lot of the times that's what your doctor's looking at before they pay attention to you as an individual anyway but also what they're learning while they're at uh, in medical school Mm -hmm. is all of the pictures they're being shown all the things that they're learning are about white people mm-hmm. and the way these diseases do these things look 
on white people. Mm-hmm. And so then when you look at it darker skin tones, yeah, it yeah. presents very differently or you can't even see some of the symptoms at all. Like if I got a bug bite on my skin, you can immediately see it because I'm pale as fuck. Mm-hmm. If you get a bug bite on your skin, you have to point it out to me and be like, here's where the bug bite is because mm-hmm. I can't see it as easily. Right. That's a good point. I saw yeah, it on Instagram. I actually dealt with something like that not too long ago. I have like a rare skin disease. Uh, one in every 3,000 people get the skin disease. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've been diagnosed with everything except what I had. And the reason was, I, I was like going to the dermatologist, like, hey, look at my elbow. What is this? Like, And finally, like one guy, he was Indian. He was like, oh, that's just like, a, that's a skin disease. You get that if you're like exposed to mercury at a young age or exposed to certain like uh, antibiotics at a certain age. A lot of people have it, but it, it, you know, it is rare and that's what you have. It's not contagious and it, you just put some hydrocortisone on it and go about your business. But I've been diagnosed with everything that you can imagine. I'm not even lying. Like literally, yeah. I thought I was going to die. Because he's not seeing you. They're thinking about them damn statistics and trying to get you on about your way. Mm-hmm. Probably thinking you don't have any insurance or can't pay for it anyway. Or you're just making it I've up. I've even gone to the, like, not even, like, seriously, I've gone to um, Crestwood, Crestwood Hospital in Huntsville. Oh, God. Um, yeah, if anybody is in the northern Alabama place, don't ever do anything at Crestwood. Take your ass to Huntsville Hospital. Like, they will kill you immediately at Crestwood. At Huntsville Hospital, they might not kill you, like, right away. Crestwood, I went there with, uh, you know, I couldn't feel my face. Didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, you know, they diagnosed me and said that I was having an anxiety attack, which is probably true because of the work, you know, that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, the lady basically said that I was there uh, and I would self-pay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, I was checking my credit report one day after moving to Florida, and I have a $6,000 bill in collections. When I had health insurance, and I told her I had health insurance, and I gave her my social security number, I gave her all the information. I'm like, look, here's everything that you need. She's like, oh, everything's great. And all of a sudden, like, my credit score dropped 75 points. Were you able to get in, okay, like, just as, like, a me to you. Were you able to, like, get in touch with your insurance company and have them do an adjustment? Called the insurance company, it had been too long. So I just basically ended up paying $1,200 to fix it. Yeah. And if I didn't have that money, I wonder, you're like, it is, that's like kind of like, you know, getting off topic, but these are the types of things that happen when it comes to medical. I remember my mom, and here's something very important to me. My mom um, had a partial hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. And she had just come out of surgery in, I don't even remember, I think it was Crestwood, yeah, it was Crestwood Hospital, I remember that, it was Crestwood. The nurses, as my mom was waking up, did not have the pain medication for my mother. Oh, uh-uh. So she woke up from a partial hysterectomy with no pain medication. Oh, and I remember looking at them like, are you going to help my mom? As my mom is grabbing onto the side of the bed, like, oh, my God, like, what's happening to me? I've never felt this kind of pain before. Like, you know, she's giving birth to a child. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at my mom, who's five foot one. You know, she's little. She yeah. picks up a lot of dust, so she's a little late. Um, and thinking, I don't know why they would not have the pain medication for my mother waking up from a purse. You just ripped her guts out. Right. 
the fuck, you know, and, and they were just so nonchalant, like, oh, we'll just go down and get the medication and everything's going to be all right. And I'm like, you, I, 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 I don't like, I, that's the reason, like, right there that I have to move out of this country. Because mm-hmm. I can't believe that you could see somebody suffering that much and because of your own ignorance think that everything's okay. And that, this is why... Was, In situations like that, I am sure that like, I'm sure that nurses have been angry with me before. I'm sure that doctors have been angry with me before. I have been very fortunate in this life to be a well person. My grandmother is, she has not been afforded the same luxury. She is at the doctor in a hospital more often than she's at home probably. And I remember um, she had like, and y'all, she just is, she's like a freaky medical anomaly. I don't know how I went from my grandmother being like that to like my father-in-law being the same way, but just they're weird. Like he, she, okay. So she had like a really bad like nosebleed and she bled for several hours. And it turns out that through a nosebleed, you can lose about four units of blood through nosebleed even if it does seem very gradual and at this point of course like and she's anemic she's all dried up they're trying to stick her she's already afraid of needles my grandmother had been stuck within like two days maybe 10 12 times and she was just done she was like they've tried to draw this blood from me a couple more times maybe god doesn't want me to have the trans like she was seeing the light y'all and you know it got to a point to where nurse was coming in there i was like no you need to leave we're not going to be sticking her anymore we're not going to do it we're going to give her a rest i will come get somebody if she decides that this is the treatment that she wants to do or if she wants to let somebody try again and you know just at that point because shit like i hate to think about who would have been trying to convince her to go through with this she was afraid you know she wasn't feeling well she's sick and then thinking about how manipulative these people might have been without somebody there to advocate on her behalf because of course she's got like an all-white treatment team they're not gonna respond to her the same way that we might they're not gonna listen to you know the sounds of her distress and understand that like this is like a sound that I've never heard her make before versus you know this is just what normal patients act like because oh maybe she just doesn't want to do this or she's just a difficult old black lady patient so I completely understand with that but there's no reason that we should have to be advocating so fiercely for ourselves in medical situations why are we having to prove the amount of pain that we're in why are we having to ask to be seen and to be treated for pain the way that they would have because you know good and well that if you were white or if your mom was white that they would have had that medicine at the ready for her it might have been a little Mm -hmm. or even if she wanted to complain about it their perception their response to her would be different well, they, they, it's, right. it's also been talked about that, like, actual medical professionals believe that black people have a higher pain tolerance mm-hmm. than white people. Mm-hmm. And so are less likely to give them hardcore drugs yeah. or narcotics or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but then you add in, you know, the stereotypes that go along with black people as well. And now they're like, well, they're just here for drugs. Mm-hmm. So definitely not going to give them that. Which is weird because child boo, like black people like freaking weed. Like this is my whole thing. When I think about people doing like meth, crack, shit like that. I think about white people, like, okay, maybe not crack. Like, crack, I think, was a black person thing, but it's like, when you think about meth, pills, methadone, heroin, and shit like that, I think white people, when I hear about those things, I don't think, I don't, witness a lot like even I've worked in a job before where I was able to see firsthand people that come in to be treated for addiction it was not a lot of black patients that I saw 
It wasn't. And I don't know, maybe geographically that could explain some of that. That's just what my experience has been to observe firsthand. But like, that's not something that I see. So I don't even know where that comes from. Well, it comes from the war on drugs, which started with Nixon in an, in an attempt to fix uh, not only the Vietnam, our involvement in the Vietnam War, but also Watergate. Mm-hmm. And so he was just trying to cover up all of his tracks. Well, Reagan continued that. And every Republican president we've had since then, not just Republican. Bill Clinton did the same thing, and yep. so we're we're continuing this. This it's part of the systemic racism, mm-hmm. right? And the philosophy and mindset that we have is that it's just black people that are having these issues. It's not white people. No, mm-hmm. white people are good. Mm-hmm. It's just black people. So let's let's hate on them. Which is why if you and I got pulled over, um, and you know we both had an eighth of, of marijuana on us, right? And your your sentence would be much higher than mine. Yeah. Period. End yeah. of story. Yeah. And it's all roped in together. Yep. So there it is. Oh, and then you can tie slavery into that as well because yeah. also the way that um, prison prisoners are paid for labor while they're incarcerated is like it's like not even a livable wage. It's slave yeah. labor. It's essentially free labor. So yes. like it's all just Thanks a to compounded that systemic issue. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're talking about. But of course, this is not the shit that we learn about in school. Hell and that's no. why we're having to have these conversations and these discussions and self-evaluate and think about what's really going on. That's why it's so important for our white allies to challenge the ideas mm-hmm. and the traditions and, you know, these mentalities that have been upheld by the people that come before them. Yes, have a conversation with your dad about it. I understand, honey. I know that your old white daddy is like dried up and wrinkly. He ain't had his dick touched in at least 15 years. He is on edge. We know. However, go ahead and like, roll you a little J, have you a little gummy, sit down, do what you need to do, have you a glass of wine, whatever. But it's time to have those conversations about Ask that. Ask the question. Right. It's questions. uncomfortable. As, my as, best friend, like I said, my best friend from like Olo, Mississippi called me and mm-hmm. said, Darrell, what the fuck's up with this Black Lives Matter shit? I don't get it. And I need to understand. And I was like, wow. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing. Like, this is a guy that unknowingly wrapped me up when I was drunk one night with everybody else that came home from the club in a confederate flag blanket. Didn't think anything of it. Aww. Just wrapped me up like, you gotta go to bed, you, gotta, you know, put him on the couch, he'll be good. He can, you know, put him in the back of the truck because he was throwing up. That's me. I was Aww. like that. And Tucked you in, that's so sweet. Yeah, but the, the thing, you know, my family didn't get it. My family was like, you let him put you in a confederate flag blanket? What the fuck? Like, you were ah. like, number one, I, like, I was blacked out. Okay. You have to understand, like, you got to look at people's intentions versus what they're, like, you know, you have to look at that first. Mm -hmm. What is your intention? Why are you doing this? What are you doing? Like, you know, when you see all these Karens and all these anti-maskers, what is your intention? Once you figure out the intention, then you know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. You can't get mad at every single thing that happens because a lot of people just don't know any better, to be honest with you. And we have to realize, even as black people, like a lot of the education that we've been given is not correct. So how do we think that our view would be if we were given the education as a white person living in America? You take a burden on when you decide that you're going to educate. I've done this with my Mexican friends from Houston. I've been like, okay, you want to know? I'll explain. But... 
don't be shocked if I get pissed off while I'm explaining this to you. Mm-hmm. It's just because I live it. It's not the fact that, you know... I'm not mad at you, I'm but telling, it's painful. I'm not mad at you. I'm not telling you a story. I'm telling you that when I go out of my house every day, I have to worry about my own safety, not because I'm worried about getting robbed. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about getting stopped for crossing the fucking street, which mm-hmm. has happened here. Mm-hmm. Fishing for fucking warrants. This has happened here. Right. I'm minding my own business. Hey, whoop, whoop. I'm like, oh shit. You know, I'm going for a job. Hey, let me get your ID. Mm-hmm. What if I didn't have the ID? Right. Then what happens? Exactly. What if I was one of the guys that didn't know how to speak English as well as I know how to speak it? <laughs> what if you then were what that? happens? <laughs> yeah. What if I have dreads? Then what happens? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the problem that people don't seem to realize. It's like, you don't have to be. And here's the thing. A lot of people, like, associate these movements with criminals. There's like, oh, well, each one of these guys had a problem. I want you to know you don't have to have a problem to be stopped by these cops. Nope. You don't have to have a problem to be pulled over, asked for your ID, asked for all these things. You can have all the right words. But I just want you to understand that if you did not have the right words because you were not raised the way that I was raised, then what? Yep. Then what happens? If you look different than I do, I'm five foot eight. If I was six foot three and I had dreads and I was darker skin, then what? You know, like my biological brother that I worry about all the time. I love him so much. But these are things that you really have to think about. And I want to touch base on something that you just said because like eh, how you were like some people just don't necessarily know better. But I think that I'm beyond like Darrell, like we're at a point now to where like everything is a fucking computer. You can like we're all plugged in all the time. Everybody's got a damn Apple Watch, smart watch, iPad, iTampon, MacBook, (laughs) big MacBook. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody has a computer. Everybody has a tablet. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody has some type of smart device. We are in a situation where like I feel overwhelmed right now thinking about all the things that I need to research and organize. Mm -hmm. There's too much information that we can continue to let ignorance be bliss. There's no reason for that. Like I'm glad that your friend felt safe enough to come to you and ask you about something like that. And he was like, okay, well let me go to my friend. But at the same time, like is that changing his mentality about the things that he's been going? Is he questioning what's going on? Is he questioning the way that he's been brought up and how he's understood racism to be and what he understands about the Confederacy Mm -hmm. and what that Confederate flag means at that point? Like I would just really have to evaluate and be like, is this somebody that I have space for in my life or not? because it's painful to be looking at a confederate flag it's painful when people don't understand that you know their treatment of black people is not acceptable but it's okay because like i'm a good one or i'm their friend so we're okay but like with all other black people that's not okay nobody understands that nobody understands these are things that we all go through right i've sat in a car at work and heard a co-worker say like Oh, those niggers over there, and look back at me, and like, we're not like them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I am like them. Right. Like, we're the same thing. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, and, it, and even with my best friend, I remember when Obama was like running for office, they were like, Obama's a terrorist. He's a Middle Eastern terrorist. He's not American. And I questioned, I'm like, why would you think that? Why would you think that America would allow somebody that's not an American citizen to even be the president? Like, what is it behind that? And what I basically came down like to, some people are just racist. 
Yeah. I mean, but also, like, you're like, you don't know how America would let somebody that's not American be the president. But also, like, I feel like our current president is like the Mucinex boogers in a suit with a toupee on. So, like... (laughs) I could I could see how things could slip there. The thing with Trump, the thing with Trump, and I know like this might be slightly off topic, right? But the thing with Trump is he may not be a bad guy, but you have to understand. Uh, Disagree wholeheartedly. Let me just say. Let me just say. I grew up in the Netherlands, in the southern part of the country, right? So my neighbors were elderly. I'm literally like already mad. I'm gonna need you to get to the point. (laughs) <laughs> Don't worry, I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there. My neighbors were elderly during World War Two, when Hitler was in control of all of Europe. My neighbors were hiding Jewish people in caves. Mm-hmm. They were a part of something I didn't understand at the time. It's called the Dutch Resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, they they helped raise me. They taught me the piano. They taught me to speak German and Dutch. To this day, even like a couple of days ago, I was able to help a lady who did not speak English mm-hmm. because she spoke Dutch and nobody speaks Dutch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, they taught me to understand one thing very, very clearly. They said, anytime you have somebody in charge of your nation and they blame all the problems in your nation on a certain group of people, you are dealing with a Hitler. You're dealing with somebody that wants to take control over everything that you do, everything that you have, and they can do it because they blame it on everybody else. Now, here's my thing. This is what I know about America. Americans are afraid because white Americans are becoming a minority quickly. White Americans are afraid because they know that Hispanic Americans will soon be the majority of this country. Right? Anybody that's not white in this country is a target. It doesn't matter if you're Middle Eastern, mm-hmm. if you're Native American, if you're black, if you're from Africa, if you're if those things don't matter. The, the point that what matters is you're not like those people. Baby boomers are the biggest ones. Um, I think that people are not realizing that what they're doing in America right now is the same thing that the Germans let happen during World War II. It's the same thing. There was somebody to blame. Who was to blame? The minorities. There was a problem. What's the problem? Lack of jobs, lack of success. We're gonna blame it on who? The minorities. Donald Trump is a Gemini. I'm a Gemini. And I always said, if I was in Alabama and I wanted to run for office, the easiest way for me to win would be to say, I can. I respect our conservative values, and I want all of us to be on the same page as far as these values are. You know, like that, that's all he's doing. All he's doing is coming out and saying, "There's a problem. This is the problem, and this is the solution." No, the he's solution not. He's coming out. He's going. There's a problem. There's a very big problem. <laughs> it's the biggest problem ever. I've got the plan. I've got the best plan. It's the best plan you ever heard. And then he fucking rambles and he never fucking says anything conclusive. He fucks everything up. He's doing all this stupid shit. Like he is like a fucking 96 year old toddler. I cannot fucking stand it. It is ridiculous. 
and creating <laughs> dividing <laughs> dividing <laughs> our our nation even he more than it already it's was. Um, I don't want to talk about him anymore. It's making me upset. It's very yeah. close to my bedtime. Um, <laughs> I don't need this imagery in my brain of uh, him in that little flappy ass toupee and his dumb orange his dumb yeah. orange face. It is the loveliest orangest face. True. But but Darrell, I want to come back. I want to come back to something you said though, real quick before we wrap Closing up. Notes. Was that um, <laughs> while for white people it is it's not our responsibility to tell us all that we're wrong right to tell each and every white person that they're wrong but it is our responsibility when we hear or see racism whether it's covert overt it doesn't matter that we do call it out 100 percent. so whether it's in you know in front of people one-on-one off to the side however you want to handle that you just it needs to be called out and needs the attention needs to be brought to it because in a lot of cases maybe they don't even realize that that's racist and they can grow and, and learn from that uh which is you know what we're ultimately trying to do is just to have less of that in the world mm-hmm. and have I it be less of a subconscious thought and more at the forefront of your mind Absolutely. all day every day Absolutely. as it should be yeah so That's one of the that, major yeah. parts of this battle is having people from the same community say, hey, hey, this is not right. Yep. Like, that's what I, I, I've always, I've always thought that that's the best thing that anybody could do. Even in my own community, I have to tell people sometimes, like I told a lady today, you know, she was like, go back to your trailer park, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is, and, you know, as much as I wanted to say because of the situation I left people are in, in America, that's fine. I can't say that. I have right. to say, this is not what you do. Right. You're doing the same thing that somebody has done to you for 400 years. Right. You can't just give in and say, it's because of my best friend. My best friend grew up in a trailer in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And that guy is one of the best people that I know. Mm-hmm. I can't just say that you can group everybody. How can you? You can't. Here's the problem. The problem is America doesn't realize that it's just a good versus bad situation. All this other bullshit that we're talking about ain't got shit to do with the fuck's going on. Mm-hmm. It's a good versus bad. Good versus evil. That's all that it is. But there's not, like, though, because there's so much gray, good and bad, positive, negative, good virtuous, and, and evil is subjective. Business. Period. Good and bad is, is, is not in your own fucking business. If you don't want to get an abortion, don't fucking get one. Well, no, no, and that's what I'm saying. That's why they're saying it's subjective because you can have these people that are like super friggin' like Mm -hmm. conservative Mm -hmm. Christian people that are like, oh no, well it is my business because it's between me and my creator that it's been placed on my heart to help to. No, but I'm saying and think that it's okay. Yes, you can. Yes, you you can be a white a, a white Christian in the United States and think just that because many of them do. Yes, you can. They do. We all know white for back this church, for example. We know where that is. But here's my point. You can't be a real Christian and think that way and continue to be a real Christian. You need to step down and you need to go ahead and acknowledge that you are just like a racist and a piece of the cake. But they're not going to do that. that. They're not going to do that because they're saying, I'm not saying that like, I'm not saying that like I hate black people and all black people should die. I'm saying things like all things matter. It's still a racist 
thing to say, mm-hmm. but whether they're not seeing it that way because it's subjective to their experience, to their That's education, to their mm-hmm. beliefs and what they go mm-hmm. on with. So mm-hmm. I understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, it, it can't just be a black and white, um, no pun it intended. It, it's it not. Is. It's not. You can't. So you can't. Darrell, no. In fact, no, no. You can think about things in like a very linear way. The way that really? you feel about okay. something and you feel like there's a very clear delineation between this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Allison may not feel the same way. Our next door neighbors mm-hmm. may not feel the same way. My mom may not feel the same way. I might not feel the same way. So that's why we have to like get rid of all of this ambiguous language and give people very, mm-hmm. very specific directives and very, very specific language and very, very specific cues to look out for so that that way it can be corrected. We can't how do you do keep that? saying how do you do things like your everyday relationships. Like, how do you tell somebody? I mean, I think I'm good at this. So I say how, because I think that there's other people that don't know how to do it. But, you know, for me, I'm just going to tell you this right. is fucked up. I don't like it. Blah, blah, blah. But how do you tell people that are growing up, like I grew up in Montana as the only black person in the community, how do you give them the courage and the strength? What, what, what do you say when you hear, which is really weird because Montana is a really bad example because they were the opposite. They thought black people all had nice cars and whatever because they watched the music videos mm-hmm, back in mm-hmm, the day. Mm-hmm. But how do you, as a black person that's isolated, and this is something that's really important because there's a lot of black people that don't live around the rest of us. How do you give them the courage to say, this is not right? You know, that's not fear. I think that we live in places with a lot of other black people, so we're comfortable, we're okay. Even if we don't like things, we know that there's places we can go. I had this discussion with somebody the other day, and I told them, I was like, you know, black people don't have a safe space. There's nowhere that you can go as a black person where you can honestly expect to be the everybody's black. True, but Darrell, we're not there yet. Right now, with what we're talking about, it addresses these issues. What we're currently debating and what we're fighting for and why we march and why we protest and why we post and why we sign petitions is to be able to pave the way for those people. So that way we don't necessarily, it's not just a black issue, it's a human issue. So it's not just gonna be that that person doesn't have access to black people. It's gonna be that the other white people or the other, you know, people of color or the other, you know, non people POC, you know, non-black people that are in that um, area with them have that influence. They have that knowledge. They're going to be there to support them. They're going to be there to protect them. So that's what I'm saying. We know that we're not everywhere. There's going to be areas that there are no black people, but that's why this is an everybody issue. Mm-hmm. It's not just a black issue. It's a social issue. It's it's a human issue. It's a civil issue. It's not just a black people issue. It's an American issue. It's a global American issue. Too. It's not just, you know, about... Um, um, it, it, where black people are it, it, it's not just us we that's why allyship is so important mm-hmm. that's why it's so important that we you know instead of disband and we divide that we come together and reach a consensus and that's what it's about it's not just about like oh okay well there's no black people there so he's never going to understand these things he's going to know because black people are going to be accessible other people are going to share the stories that they've heard from other black people other people are going to tell them about the experiences that they've had with other black people they're going to love black people they're going to up lift black people they're going to protect black people they're going to believe black people and they're going to value black people that's that's what it is that we're trying to get to we're not there yet like we can't just like dispatch black people to areas that is no black people to spread the gospel like <laughs> I understand that. I understand that. No. and it's very very true like right. i told you earlier 
when I was telling you about the situation in Montana, mm-hmm. I was the only black person there. And the only people that came up and had my back were a bunch of country white boys from Montana. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... I was in the same situation in Mississippi. The only people that had my back were country white boys from Mississippi. Right. You know? Um, for me, the most powerful thing that I've seen is people that are not black that actually say something. Right. That stand up and say no, this is not right, I don't like it, it's not mm-hmm. passive-aggressive, it's very aggressive. It's like, no, you're fucking retarded, and we don't like that shit. Right. And you're wrong, and you need to get the fuck out of here. Right. Like, this is the thing that people gotta do, because, like, we can only do so much. I had this discussion with one of my cousins, I said, like, you know, we've been marching for 400 years. Obviously, black people are not the ones that are gonna fix systemic racism right we can't fix it's not it. our issue to fix because we didn't implement it we can't fix it but white people that realize that this shit is fucked up can fix it yeah and, and I, I it appreciate is it. arguably their responsibility to do so yep so on that I note <laughs> right so on that note, guys, we are at time. Darrell, is there anything that you want to promote? Do you want people to follow you on social media? Do you want them to text you or email you? Do you want them to follow you on Twitter? How would you like for people to reach out to you? You can follow me on Instagram. on the humanitarian foodie. So I'm like really big into making life right and eating right. And that's, yeah. that's about it. Yeah. All right, guys. And don't forget, you can follow us at sweetesthoney.love on Instagram. You can follow us at sweetesthoneypod on Twitter. Um, You can email us if you have a story. You just want to shout us out. You want to tell us something funny. Give us some encouraging words. Tell us about something that you've been struggling with. Um, Anything. You can email us at info at sweetesthoney.love. Please, please, please don't forget to rate our podcast five stars um, and leave us a review and share with a friend. We love you guys and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.